Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community and communities create social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. So today's interview is a little bit different than what we're used to here at Face to Face. Uh, it's with James Allen and Brian Roberts, two friends of mine, two magicians, and it's the three of us. And James Allen is actually interviewing myself and Brian Roberts, and we are going to be lecturing together in the near future for, uh, it's a lecture called Spare Change for Social Change. And it's about a, a museum, a social enterprise project that I've been working on in Cambodia. Uh, internationally and so on uh, and lots to talk about there but we actually don't talk about that at all what we talk about is magic we talk about the craft we talk about scripting and about wonder and about about uh, the permanence of the coin how good is that we talk about local magicians and expectations and this uh, the, the idea of secrets and and, and 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 something called the pressure to fool James was a wonderful host very generous uh, to donating his time and we had a blast and I think you'll uh, be able to tell that it's a lot of fun and we hope you enjoy the uh, the interview stay tuned uh, for that coming up in a moment don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my speaking and about my writing and and uh, almost 300 interviews there now for your dining and dancing pleasure coming up brian roberts uh, myself and james allen face to face so welcome to face to face today so we're in the middle of a conversation trying to figure out how to actually get this interview to start so james are you going to introduce me or am i introducing you introducing or you brian? can introduce me brian why don't you introduce david introducing me okay. and then i'll introduce you i could do that i could just introduce myself <laughs> And then, yeah, but what about me? <laughs> Maybe you guys, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, this will so, become the podcast representation yes. of an Escher painting. Yes. <laughs> that's exactly right. Digital Escher. Yes. The title of my next book. Yeah, that's right. So we'll just do this. Welcome to a very special edition of Face to Face to Face. The extra to face in there is because <laughs> nice. I have stolen the microphone from David Peck. Uh, and we are in the back room of the Browser's Den of Magic in Toronto. Uh, and the back rooms of magic shops have this... Uh, rich history uh, in the olden days. Uh, this is where the real secrets were actually traded, where you had to uh, uh, you had to truly be an initiate to learn the good stuff. Uh, and so here in this rather unique space, surrounded by ventriloquist figures and uh, books uh, from, I think, every decade of the 20th century, uh, Mag I'm going magazines. to find... I'm going to try and uh, beat some secrets out of these two. Uh, so we are here with uh, Brian Roberts. Uh, why don't you uh, say something about yourself? Hello. I keep all my secrets in this back room. So I'm right at home and ready to give up those secrets. You skipped your introduction. I did. Oh. I thought we made that clear. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to introduce you introducing James. Introducing me. That's difficult to understand. It truly is. Yeah. So I love what you said and I'm David Peck and thanks for uh, joining us today. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation, James, and thanks for saying yes. The back room is really cool that we're here. Uh, not too far from here. I grew up uh, going to a magic store called Morrissey Magic. And I remember as a kid, I was in my early, I mean, maybe 13, 12, 13. And Herb behind the store, Herb Morrissey, 
and magicians and all the pictures on the wall and the props and the books. And every now and then, two or three guys would go into the back room and they'd disappear around the wall where Herb had a bunch of props and things hanging. And, and I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> but as I learned over the time, that was, in fact, the back room and secrets were traded there without a doubt. It's just kind of interesting that you that you bring that up. It's uh, uh, fascinating the other, about the craft. The other option is this is just a private support group for unreasonably tall magicians. Uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, if your friend Tyler Wilson can join us, I mean, I think we would have 90 percent of the height. How tall of, are you, James? Uh, I'm 6'1". Six 6'1". One. Six one. I'm 6'5". Six 6'2". Six wow. Got a... I'm not used to being the shortest person in the room. This is awkward for me. I'm not used to being the shortest person in the room at 6'1". Interesting. Interesting. Intimidating. A little bit, yes. Have you seen the size of the shoes this guy wears? Yeah. The clown shoes, but... (laughs) (laughs) So, so, so So, when, pray tell, is this interview going to start? I have no idea. I want to bring that myself. um, I'm actually interested to know how the two of you met, because I think you have known each other longer than I've known either of you. Uh, maybe even combined. So uh, that's going to be an interesting story because we probably have different perspectives on that. I think we do, and it really is kind of interesting, just from a community-based perspective yeah. too. As magicians, you know, you meet at magic clubs, you meet at magic stores, and lectures, and things like that. But you know what, James? I actually don't know. So I'm going to intru- exactly. I'm going to introduce the guy who's going to answer that question for you. Thanks for the introduction, David. You're welcome. That's great. This is the only introduction so far in this interview. Uh, for me, it was uh, Ring 99 uh, at the Madison Pub. And I can't remember. I, I don't remember if I was lecturing or I was at a lecture. But across the room, I, I saw David. And I had heard about David being in the magic community. But I also knew that David was a philosopher. I knew you had that background. And it kind of, can I say this? It intimidated me. A little bit. Nice. Yeah, I think that's what you were going for. Your, re- your <laughs> reputation preceded you. So so that worked out perfect. But I, I just never, you know, I never thought <clears throat> that we would connect maybe because of because of that. I thought, I thought you were, you know, just an intellectual and I didn't know whether I should approach you. But uh, but he did and, and it, we found out there were some commonalities there, some magicians that we liked and some magic that we liked. And, uh, and then, of course, there was some work crossover as well in our professional lives. So that's what I remember. I, I, you know what? I, I actually remember Ring 99, which was kind of cool. It was kind of a few a group of magicians trying to answer a, uh, a question about how do we make more sense out of this thing called magic, it seems to me. How do we become a little more friendly? How do we become a little more relational? And mm-hmm. so let's get together at a pub and just hang out and yeah. talk. And so I actually – an intimate group. It was, and uh, sometimes very small meeting, like only a few guys would yes, show up. Yes, I, I remember the, the group ultimately dissolved because all the members left were people who didn't drink. Right, all, <laughs> so we, right. We, all 99 we, members? Uh, we enjoyed each other's company, but the, uh, the alcohol portion of it seemed to make no sense. Yeah, well, what I loved about it was its informality, and it was just a group of guys getting together to talk about something they loved. Yeah. You know, a pack of cards came out. It wasn't it wasn't intentional necessarily, but somebody maybe came. And then every now and then somebody would lecture and so on, but... I don't remember that first mm-hmm. meeting, really, to be honest with you. But what I do remember is being struck by your um, your love for magic, your love for the craft, your love for the precision of it. And then we shared, as you say, some commonalities about a particular magician, Gary Kurtz. Mm-hmm. I would say that's probably where we yeah. resonated the most because mm-hmm. I knew Gary quite well coming up in Toronto mm-hmm. uh, many years ago. And then just watching the magic that you did kind of reminded me mm-hmm. a little bit of Gary Kurtz mm-hmm. as well and some of the uh, the, the mannerisms and, mm-hmm. and, and the pacing and, and, uh, and the height. And, and the height. <laughs> and the height yeah. We're back to the height and the large shoes. Yeah. yeah. And then we shared, um, I think, um, uh, a friend of ours, John, John McLaughlin, invited us over to his place. There was a small gathering. So it was, you know what? So right. it was, it was very time. relational and, uh, yeah, kind of very, very friendly, really, in a yeah. sense, uh, clearly around magic, but other areas resonated as well. So there's a, a particular style of magic that comes to mind when you mention performers like Gary Kurtz. I mean, there's a lot of uh, what nowadays gets called finger flicking or knuckle busting, sleight of hand. Uh, and there are people who love that sort of thing. And there are people who sort of poo poo it as not being very practical. Uh, but you both have an interest in that sort of thing, which, material, mm-hmm. which is um uh not necessarily easy to do uh but uh is is that fair to say mm-hmm. absolutely i i i think that's what drew me to gary's work uh, initially 
was his facility for cards and coins and all things close-up magic for sure you know it it also you know i have to tell you i looked for someone if you know um, to be a student of if you could say that uh, that was model. close that was close in stature because my hands were so are so large gary's were very very large hands i saw that so the way he handled a pack of cards the way it looked in his hands it looked familiar to me whereas some of the other magicians i was studying it didn't and so some of the moves and things that he was explaining and were in his book uh, seemed to come a little bit easier, maybe because of that. I don't know. But I also like the personality of his performance style. And uh, I'll tell you what, when I met David, the thing was anybody that knew Gary or had spoken with Gary or had seen Gary do anything, I was interested to talk to and sort of pick their brain and say, what, you know, how did the sort of phenomena of Gary Kurtz come about? Um, so that was really interesting to me. I think, you know, it's interesting, James. I, I, I wouldn't say I'm out of the magic community now, but I'm not as connected to it as I once was, and I don't perform as much as I do for sort of the real world as I used to and so on. And But I'm still deeply involved in reading all the time, and there's never a day goes by where there aren't some coins or cards in my hand. But I think what I love about people like uh, Gary is Gary didn't – it didn't look like finger flicking. Mm -hmm. It really didn't. It looked very natural. It looked – I mean, honestly, I think of, of the few magicians in the world that still knock my socks off, Gary would be probably pretty close to the top of the list. And and he could, I don't know what he's doing really today, I haven't spoken to him in years, but he consistently fooled me and took me somewhere that other magicians wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it looked like real magic. And what right? is that it a didn't product look like of? He is was, that just... I think it's a stylistic thing to some degree, mm -hmm. but I think I think Gary had a presence about him. I mean, he, Gary's a dancer, uh, understanding a theater and so on, and and certainly gone that way now and is uh, later in his career with mentalism and, and the mm -hmm. theatrical productions and so mm -hmm. on. But but yeah, there was a charisma there to Gary that I don't know that a lot of performers that I've known over the years have, and so he was intensely watchable, and and had an incredible amount of knowledge around a particular kind of magic, and so yeah, maybe. It, would be called finger flicking if you watched it live today but for me the finger fin finger flicking today is more showy it's it's about me it's about isn't this wonderful look how great i am whereas uh i mean maybe you don't mean it that way maybe you well mean no there, there's a separate discipline uh they now call it uh as it relates at least to playing cards they now call it cardistry, cardistry. and they had a couple of uh I think failed attempts at branding at one point it was called extreme card manipulation right. but cardistry seems to be the name that has stuck and that's much more um the, the act of doing something which is more like juggling with playing cards and they're not necessarily achieving anything something magical Maze would have said not to do uh yeah and um is is that Tell. something that people like gary are responsible for like is that the next stage in mm. their evolution or is this uh, is is the the cardistry sort of thing something that Gary would go? Uh, no, no, no. You haven't quite got it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I think Gary was truly uh, interested in the effect and what is this going to? What what kind of a a reaction am I going to get? Mm -hmm. He he, want, he wanted to fool mm -hmm. you. This was about wonder. This was about mystery. This was about it was also about theater and it was about going a little deeper than that. But I never got the sense from Gary. That it was, even though it might have been about him and driven by ego, it wasn't really mm -hmm. in performance, at least. I don't know. Do you feel the same way, Brent? I, I do. And, and you know, ha um, having been lucky enough to talk to him in, in recent years uh, on the phone uh, and talk to him about those routines and how he put them together and why he put them together, it's interesting today because he has a completely different outlook on it. He doesn't believe in any of that work that he did, even though it, it, it created a magical effect. He, he actually thought it was just finger flicking. He thought it was just manipulation and kind of showing off. And it was, it was uh, striking for me to hear that as, as a fan of Gary. Um, that he wouldn't go down that I road today. I remember, I remember um, years ago at Harper's Dinner Theater showing him after a show had ended and it was late at night. And I came out and I said, Gary, can I show you something I've been working on? And I pulled out mm -hmm. and I did Flurious, you know, the, the jumbo coin routine. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, wow, I've never seen anyone do that routine before mm -hmm. from my perspective, from where I'm sitting. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of our friendship. It was like, wow, you committed to this. You were, mm -hmm. you, you, you respected the material enough to say, I'm going to, I'm going to learn this. And so, mm -hmm. but, but I, I guess my, my next comment is to, to, to sort of uh, off of yours years later on the phone, I make a comment to him about Flurius and I say a variation of this, you're still doing that old dinosaur? Mm. Direct quote. 
you're still doing that old dinosaur. Yeah. And yeah. so that's just, it's interesting, right? His evolution yeah. is such that he's gone more to the stage, more to mentalism, more to the theater mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of mystery, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be a common thing among many performers as they get older, as you reach a certain point where you look back, uh, and it seems to be inevitable where you look back at the things you did 10 years ago and invariably say, no, 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 now I think that's crap. Uh, where you just go through this evolution. Um, I'm, I'm curious because I've never met Gary. Uh, I've seen a tiny bit of video. When you watch Gary Kurtz, is there? do you get the impression that you are watching magic or do you get the impression that you are watching expert manipulation? Like, does it feel like the hand is quicker than the eye or does it feel like uh, that more Vernon style of, but he didn't do anything, how is this happening? Every time I saw Gary, uh, he pretty much fooled me. And, and I might have seen this same routine before, and he would still fool me. And it was about the misdirection. It was about the beat. There's very, for me, Lance Burton also, same. I've seen Lance Burton's act uh, from Carson uh, hundreds of times. A uh, local magician, Colin Bartlett, and I used to stay up late at night after working a club called Houdini's in Toronto and watch Lance Burton and Joseph and others uh, from old tapes. And, and he would consistently fool us. And, and I think, Gary, for me, it was, it was magic. It was magic. I mean, every now and then, you know, you'd catch a flash or you'd go, oh, geez, Gary, maybe you need to work on that a little bit. But but for me, it, it was honestly, it was mysterious. It was it was wonderful. It truly was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's similar for me. You know, the, the moments of magic and the fooling was there 100%. I think where it probably went away sometimes was in the coin manipulation. You know, the, the longer routines where you can just see a lot of the... Hand washing. The, the hand washing and things like that. Yeah, but Very certainly... Mechanical. Certainly with other routines, I thought they were so well-structured that they fooled me badly uh, when I was watching them. And I think that added to the, to the lore and to the interest of watching Gary's work as well. The, I, I wanted to mention his show on mentalism, for those who haven't gone to see it. Um, it's funny because if you studied Gary, uh, studied the scripts and the tricks, he uses actually today a lot of those same scripts in his mentalism act. So it's it's just funny to... When he talks about time and, and moments in time, he's actually using lines from some of the card work that he used to do. So he hasn't, even though he's made this huge change, his his style and his sensibilities have not changed all that much. So well, I thought it I worth think, noting. And I think a lesson for, for all of us is that he, he continued to, uh, I guess, mature and to grow out of and to go beyond, to your point, mm-hmm. uh, James, that it seems like a lot of magicians experiment as they get older with mentalism. That does seem seems. to be the inevitable path that we're all driven to. I'm I'm fighting very, very hard myself to not go down that path uh, just because I'm watching everyone around me take it. We talked about it with Magic Tonight, you know, that there was so much mentalism happening. And we, both of us, I think, chose to try and still do magic. Um, It's difficult. It's... Uh, you've both experimented with doing uh, material for a, a larger audience. Now, there, there is this mythical thing that we keep hearing about from time to time in Toronto, which is David Peck's Coin Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, the, uh, something called Abbott's gets mentioned along with wow. that. Nice. I bet you in some of these piles of, I can see a Topps magazine from here. Uh, there's a review in a 19, how, how tragic is this? In the 1987 Topps magazine uh, about my coin act where I was fortunate enough to have won the competition. And it was incredible. What a, what a great experience. What an incredible experience. So what was this mythical coin act like? So the mythical coin act was, was actually, it grew into a 15 minute, uh, I like to think vaudevillian style act, uh, Tales the Works. Uh, to music, uh, and it involved a zombie ball, floating ball. It involved uh, some candles appearing and vanishing, and a cane or two appearing and vanishing. And throughout, though, uh, coins just kept appearing at my fingertips, mm. and magically, hopefully, uh, for the most part. And so um, it was. A, it was a, a often used as an intro to a variety show in Toronto called A Little Night Magic. Uh, But then I was fortunate enough to actually get to work it for quite a few years, uh, working what uh, a lot of local performers would affectionately refer to as phone shows, uh, boiler room shows, I guess you could call them as well, uh, some of the older school magicians. And we worked, uh, there were a lot of us who worked around Ontario and out west and out east and sometimes down into the States. I got to go to Hawaii doing these phone shows. And they were perfect opportunities for me to really hone my skills as this kind of old vaudevillian uh, coin manipulator, and and uh, it's it's 
mythical is fun, uh, but it, it was a real act. And, uh, you know, Kane, so top hat, How many years works. would you have put into that act? Yeah, great question. So I'd have to go back and see, but I actually won the Stouffville Magic Competition um, back in the early 80s, and I can see the poster, but I don't know the year. If Matthew DeSero was here right now, he'd he'd tell me because he's got the poster framed on his wall. 85, maybe? Okay. 83. Uh, but the truth is, and I did a version of Miser's Dream that I'm going to be lecturing about coming up soon, actually, uh, there to Nadia's theme. I don't know if you, the theme from The Young and the Restless. Mm, yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a little bit of a dated reference there. But that's how it started. And Herb Morrissey said... Get the coins, get the bucket, get some music you're comfortable with, and start producing those coins. And that's how it developed, James. It, it, uh, and that's exactly how I did it. And then from there, I added the ball, the floating ball, then the candles. And it became, I hope, you know, a fairly, uh, you know, uh, articul well-articulated act. And when you look back on Can that... Can you tell man, I like talking about it? No, I, no. You're, it's you're, the mem uh, man, I'm just getting all these memories. You're bringing it. Thanks for bringing it up, by the way. It's awesome. And and, and hopefully these memories don't come crashing down. Uh, we were talking about Gary Kurtz evolving out of certain things. When you look back on that now, uh, how do you feel about that act? Is that still something that has... Or was it just uh, now, now that you're older and hopefully wiser... Would you still do an act like that, or would you think stylistically that no, 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 there's something wrong with it? Is... I think context is everything. So if there was the right show and the right venue, I just might. In fact, I was called before Christmas, and somebody said, "I'm, I'm putting a show together. Would you consider, you know, resurrecting your coin act?" And it's, I mean, I don't even know if I'd fit into the tux that I wore. You know, I had shoes made for the act. I mean, I, I took it pretty seriously. And that's thanks mostly gimmick to Gimmick shoes? <laughs> yeah, I wish they were gimmick shoes. No, they well, were no, just... Well, no, you say you have shoes made. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, clown shoes. Yeah, we're back to the clown shoes. No, just patent leather shoes that were okay. very distinctive to me and, and, and different. And I tried to be a little different, you know, with my tux and how I wore it and so on. Um, you know, are there many venues for that kind of classical magic anymore? I don't know. You would know better than me, James. You're out there doing it. but um, I've I had this conversation a lot recently where I, I think it's a product of the times. Uh, a lot of it has to do with a cost of transportation, uh, whether it's flying places or driving places, that uh, nobody has the inclination or the budget to try and put together a show which is made up of 15 minutes at a time. Uh, when I get phone calls for shows, I mean, the, the, the number that comes out of most people's mouths is they want an hour. Uh, and that's just because people think of blocking conventions or events or whatever in terms of we need something for the 9 to 10 o'clock mm -hmm. slot. So that, I mean, I, I don't think there really are places where you can do just 15 minutes. Well, there are not too many that, that I know of. There are not too many dinner theaters that are having, hosting magic shows anymore. There was in Toronto for many years, and I think they've been around. And there are some places that are still doing it well. And you've, you've, you've figured it out and with Magic Tonight. And there are various venues, Bobby Mata and, and, and so on locally. There are others that are, seem to be doing this kind of uh, weekly ongoing magic show classical magic show i'm not sure if that would work however i mean i guess it would be kind of like um uh, the what is it the murder mystery kind of dinner theaters you do see those from time to time when you you're driving into a small town mm -hmm. you know you'll pass by a theater the aurelia playhouse or something like that and you'll say oh murder mystery happening next week would they be able to manage that weekly mm -hmm. uh, i don't know um but listen i i i have incredible memories uh, fond memories of people I worked with, the places I was able to travel with, what I learned, and I love doing that act. I mean, I, I can, I, I, I'm feeling it right now. Seriously, I can hear the music. The curtains are opening. I'm walking out. Like honestly, it's it's. So I'm getting actually just now. Now I'm getting some shivers. Like so, some, I'm getting goosebumps on my goosebumps. You know, uh, I'd love to do it again, but honestly, I don't know if I'd have the. <laughs> but no, my, my question to you is, but you still hold it in that high regard as something which is still worth doing. Do. It's not it's not like some of the, the, the finger flicking that someone like Gary Kurtz would have left behind years ago. It still has, you think... There's, res uh, it, there's it still resonant has... value to it, yep. for sure. And I think in the right setting, it would go over very well. I think in the other setting, it would be incredibly dated mm -hmm. and would be inappropriate. Yes. Um, keeping on the subject of coin magic, uh, Brian, you were also... 
I think, reasonably well-known for coin magic as a sort of specialty, even though I know that's not all you do. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to find, uh, when I talk to other magicians and when I travel, uh, the, there is a popular opinion that there is something wrong with coin magic, that it's really not worth pursuing. Um, and is there a succinct way of maybe explaining why is coin magic not broken? Mm -hmm. Would you like me to introduce you now, uh, Brian? You could. Yeah, like well, um, yes. ladies and gentlemen, um, Brian Roberts, uh, direct from, I don't know, where do you live? Bathurst and Eglinton? Bathurst and Eglinton. Was that yeah. about four kilometers away? Yeah, pretty yeah. close. So you, 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 you went all out for today's thing. interview. Yeah. <laughs> Your thoughts, please, on coin magic. My thoughts, and, and just so I understand that it, you're asking, you're, you're I, I, it's I, not I, broken. Well, we we seem to um, we seem to be in the minority of of people who do coin magic without embarrassment. Mm -hmm. And no, there there are lots of people who who really really look down on on coin magic. Mm -hmm. And uh, why do they look down on it? That that's kind of new to me. I think. Hmm. Oh, have you never been to a convention where people say, "Oh, it's just a stupid coin trick," or you're, "Oh, you're a coin guy," instead of a, you know, you've never experienced that? No. I don't think so. Maybe when I'm walking away from a crowd, that's what they're <laughs> saying. Uh, I mean, he was no, a that real thing, this is magicians, guy. not not real. Uh, the most well articulated um, takedown of it I've ever heard is that in the days of vaudeville. Uh, you could produce a coin and it would like something like a half a dollar or a silver dollar and it connoted real wealth like a dollar mm -hmm. meant something mm -hmm. uh whereas now if you're in canada and you're doing a trick with one dollar and two dollar coins i mean it's just a coin yeah you're you're sort of you're producing your wealth one cup of tim hortons at a time which is not a very efficient right. use of magic i'd have to yes. go back but i'm pretty sure bobo in in, in coin magic talks at great length about the wonders, the litmus test-like nature to, to to doing coins, to the miser's dream mm -hmm. in particular, mm -hmm. but to yeah. coin magic. Yeah, the permanence, whole. the permanence of the coin. You know that it's not like a card; it's it's a very permanent object that you can make vanish, change places. But you know, to get back to your question, I, so I've spent a great deal of time having this conversation with a good friend, Morgan Bonda, who I know, or is Morgan Pierce now. Who we both know, Morgan uh, something or other. Yeah, I, I, Morgan is one of those uh, magicians he, that he I would was definitely be one of those guys that I was thinking is, of. Yeah, which is funny because we're good friends, and you know, I had to sit through some of those conversations where he was kind of. Uh, it's uh, not easy to, to sit down some... with someone who wants to explain why your chosen field of study sucks. That's right. Yeah, but Did... what does Morgan know? Anyway? No, but no, but <laughs> <laughs> apologies, mean, really? Morgan. I love you. Um, <laughs> The thing is, he, you know, he had some great points about it, and he would be the first to, to say that, wow, you know, he's, we, our conversations actually really helped. And, and he used to say, and I think it's right, is that coin magic can be limiting in its narrative and its story and the way you present it. So, so that alone uh, means that, you know, you can sit through 20 card effects and have 20 different stories and, and ways, but sit through 10 coin effects, and there's a good chance that there'd be a lot of crossover. So... Having said that, I work, because of those conversations I had with Morgan, I work extremely hard to, uh, to make each effect as interesting as a, as a card effect, let's say. There's a lot more story. Uh, there's a lot more interaction I try to build in. Uh, there's a lot more talking than in regular coin magic, which seems to just be visual and you don't even have to say anything. That's probably another drawback of it. Um, is it, uh, you know, is it, is it dead? Uh, no, I'm not sure. Hopefully, uh, hopefully not. But okay. So can, can yeah. I say something? I just think it's hard. I think it takes a lot of work, mm -hmm. and I think uh, it 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 it's not maybe as immediate. Mm -hmm. So therefore, right? Immediate uh, it, in its facility, you mean in its learn. ability to do well. Mm -hmm. So I mean, how many times have you seen coin tricks that are done poorly? I mean, there's there's not many self-working coin tricks. No. There's a few nickels to dimes. Um, you know, dime, dime, penny to dime, maybe, or dime mm -hmm. to penny. I mean, there's there are a few out there, but I, I don't know of anything more beautiful, actually. So I would, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually a bit appalled that this is, uh, that this <laughs> is going on out there. Yeah, yeah, Once yeah. Again, sorry, yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Out there. Well, um, this could be the start of a new movement. I don't it, know. It could be actually. Well, it's interesting though. I, you know, they, the, the other, I guess, the flip side of it is when you're the only coin guy, sometimes in a room full of card guys, you do stand out, and it becomes an interesting thing to see after so many card tricks have gone by. And I've experienced that many times. Um, 
so yeah, I, you know, I, I think about uh, 4F. I'm lucky enough to go to 4F every year. And when I, uh, when I see people and the amount of card work that goes on, uh, there's like eight shows a day and you see card tricks after card tricks after card tricks. And then somebody will come up and do something different, maybe not coins, but some other micro magic like uh, effect. It becomes very interesting uh, in that regard. So you can also stand out a great deal as well. Back to you, Dave. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking of, of, let me show you another card trick or watch this coin as it flies through the air and lands into this glass. And then you get to see it vanish from one hand. You, you see it. a drop into a glass. You hear it drop into the glass. Mm -hmm. It plays to the whole room. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit dumbfounded. I mean, I, I think there's something intrinsically beautiful about coin magic. And I want to, I want to survey this group. Are these all magicians that are saying this? Probably. It seems oh yes, to me. no. This is a, yeah. this is a, an yeah. opinion of of, of magicians. And, yeah. and well, what do they know about the real world? Is what I want to know. Like, get outside <laughs> of the, the the circle of the people they're performing for, and actually stand on the other side as an audience member. And, 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 and let's do that survey. And then I think we might start to find some pretty interesting things happening. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Wow. No, yeah, go, I, go. I was going to just mention it. Brian Roberts. Excellent. Thank you. I, can I get an introduction before I speak every time? Uh, I was going to mention to uh, Tyler Wilson, who was a, a friend of all of ours as well. One of the best stories of somebody kind of dissing coin magic was, I think in his book, he mentions to, to find something to cut on. And he uses Bobo's coin magic to do so. So there you go. I mean, but again, I've session with uh, with Tyler quite a bit, and he he also appreciates uh, coin magic, and he'll be the first to joke around about it. But I also think there's an appreciation well, uh, and there I, as well. And I, Brian, I think, and James, I think, an audience, I think, I think I'm, I hope I'm raising a, an issue. You got to. Are we talking about magicians? Or are we talking about you know? people watching magic. And I think that's something that's really important to be thinking about. And how much time do magicians spend in their heads or in their hands and not thinking about others and not thinking about the community and not thinking about the relationship they have with their audience? Because if they're doing another card trick in a series of card tricks, then I'm wondering if they're doing that because A, they're lazy or because they have this profound love for card magic and just assume that everyone else does. I'm sure most women want to see more card tricks. That'd be my guess. That's been my experience. My wife loves card tricks. <laughs> oh, please show me more. Yeah. Can I pick another card? Okay, I'm, I'm feeling this deep desire and need to sort of rain down on card magic right now. This I'm is, sensing some sarcasm was, here. Is this a fair assessment? I was going to go down there. I, I mean, I, I love card magic too. too no, but. no, you don't. No, I, <laughs> Wait, no, come just, on. just to clarify, like because really we is. can't see your facial expressions right now. You are being sarcastic, oh, David. Oh, totally, yes, you're, absolutely. You're, okay. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But at the same time, I think that there, there really is a beauty to coin magic that is not necessarily uh, found in a lot of card tricks. Maybe not all, mm -hmm. but in a lot. The, the biggest thing about coin magic is just trying to come up with a narrative and a story that makes sense and is interesting to people rather than just create visual magic. I think with a deck of cards, there's so much story inherently built in already that, uh, that it's, it seems like it, it could be easier to come up with a narrative and story for a card trick. So, um, yeah, just that. Sorry, James, I'm glad you asked the question because I want, I want to hear more about this. I really do. Like, uh, I'm actually kind of... You haven't been on the receiving end. I have not been on the receiving I, I end have. of this. I have. And, and, you, and don't, I, you don't waste that much of your life on internet forums, do you? I do not. That's true. Uh, that is probably maybe where... You lucky, lucky man. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I haven't seen it. I mean, I do think of, of a conversation I had with David Ben years ago when, when Tricks came out. And this whole idea of narrative, and it's got to have a story, and it's got to have a script, and so on. It's David, David, David's comment was kind of, you know what? They're tricks. Just do the trick. They're really great tricks. Mm -hmm. They're beautiful. There's something intrinsically uh, beautiful about them mm -hmm. that demands your attention. Mm -hmm. And I think most magic is like that. Mm -hmm. I would like to think it is, but coin magic in particular. And obviously, I'm, you know, my bias is coming out here without a doubt. And I love card magic. But at the same time, I uh, I think there's something quite 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 lovely about a, a coin being placed in the hand and vanishing. It's something that everyone can relate mm -hmm. to immediately. Well, there is something that David seems to be fighting for, and I agree with him. And I think it's a worthwhile endeavor is is trying to get magic to the point where it can stand on its own as its own genre of performance art. Mm -hmm. That you do not have to sell magic as a subset of theater. You do not have to sell magic as a subset of stand-up comedy is it stands on its own as something which has merit and interest just in the so, tricks of it, um, themselves and 
the impossibility so of things happening to, to. and the aesthetic of mystery, you don't have to have a story about how these jacks represent detectives. Right. So you, mm-hmm. you don't. Uh, you don't have to talk about how when you were 12 years old you you gave a valentine to the girl sitting across from you and she tore up this piece of tissue paper you you don't just the the, the impossible things by themselves stand on their own mm-hmm. um and I, I mean i think that is we may not get all the way there that's something worth um, well for me magic is about wonder it's about mystery it's about raising questions and it's about it's about i think chiseling away to some degree at people's preconceived idea of what truth is and what reality is and what the norm is and so when i put a coin in my hand and it's gone there's a there's an immediacy to that that says to that person holy smokes that's amazing and it's a tiny reminder of the way it used to be mm-hmm. as kids mm-hmm. as children and then at some point in our life we get go through this wretched thing called education and it ruins everything right and mm-hmm. and and that mystery and that wonder is pushed out in favor of something else and something other and i and that's what i think i love about magic and so for me back to kind of come full circle that's how gary made me feel mm-hmm. When he would do a routine, when I saw Flurius for the first time, I was like, wow, this guy's a real magician. Mm-hmm. This is unbelievable. This is yeah. beautiful. So ju- just to push back on that a tiny little bit, um, I'm not sure why I get cast as a devil's advocate, but when you say this wretched thing called education, is magic something which is in opposition to our learning about the world and learning how things really work? Um, is it... Uh, is it a bad thing that we understand and accept that coins placed in hands are not supposed to disappear? Uh, like, are, are we uh, are we trying to hold on to something that is not worthwhile? I mean, I think know, it's a bad thing if we think that's the only avenue to truth. If we think that's the only avenue to knowledge, if we think it's the only avenue to understanding, and so to have a coin placed in our hand and have it vanish is a good reminder that whoa, things are not quite the way they may always appear. And there's more going on than meets the eye. And it's time to peel back the layers of that onion to say, hey, I got to ask a different question. I got to go a little deeper. So this act of lying to people for their own benefit sort of thing is, um, I just want to be careful that I don't, you're not. Yeah, it's Jay, Jay and I, Jay Sankey and I have had this conversation for years about you know the deception and the lies of magic. I don't, I don't see it that way, I don't think. I see it as a, a reminder that they're, there is a mystery, right, to the universe. There is a mystery to my understanding of Brian Roberts and James Allen that I'm never going to quite be on the inside of. And that's part of the magic. That's part of what it means to be friends and so on. I'm just questioning the notion that can you move towards truth through actively deceiving people, right? The coin is not actually vanishing from your hand. You're doing something deceptive and surreptitious. And so I'm. is this... Um, I don't think they're going to be better people to know that I really indwelled page 393 of Bobo's Coin Magic, and that's how I made that coin vanish. I don't think that's going to be helpful to them. What I think is going to be actually helpful to them, you know, long term is to say, wow, this world is a crazy place. That's awesome. Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. Now what? Mm-hmm. Does that, does that, I'm I mean, sorry, am, Brian, am I we've just come enough? full circle. We're am back I to intimidating be... philosopher David that you don't want to interrupt. <laughs> sorry. I'm going to leave now. Am I? Uh, can okay. you get those shoes on? Yeah. Am I? Am I just being way too idealistic about no. about a coin vanish? No. And I, you know what? I, I mean, I, given this a great deal of thought as well, but I, I think um, there is an expectation of people today uh, with magic that wasn't there before because magic is in the mainstream now. It's in movies. They make movies about it. Uh, you see it on television programs, you see it on Netflix, you see it on Crave, you see it everywhere on the internet. And I think that there are no illusions here, to no pun intended, uh, uh, from people. I think there's an expectation there, though, of great magic. They expect it if they're watching a magician. So there's a, even a little bit more pressure now uh, to fool, a little bit more pressure now to perform, to be good, uh, to make the coin vanish and then open the other hand and show that it's completely vanished. I think that's where we're, where we're at now. Um, well, and in some ways, Brian, aren't we too? And James, you'd know better. You're more connected to the, the younger crowd. Um, you vanished the coin, and now you got to pull it out of your ear. 
or mm-hmm. out of your eyeball or something, right? Mm-hmm. There's like this 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 line that somehow has been this David Blanian, Chris Angelian line that's been crossed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Got to pull the thread out of my eyeball, kind of stuff. Yeah, it's certainly gotten to the point now. I think with yeah with millennials and Gen Zers coming up, uh, you know that those target markets are going to expect more they've seen on TV. Whether the things they've seen on TV are actually being done by sleight of hand or or by camera trickery or or a clever edit. Uh, there's certainly an expectation there. The other, the other thing that's good about millennials that I think is going to help magic is that millennials love authenticity. Mm. And I think as long as you're authentic in your act in the way in the way you perceive magic and present magic, I think that's going to be extremely helpful. So even if they don't think they're being fooled, uh, even if they don't think the, the coin is vanishing completely, I think they can appreciate the artistry uh, behind an authentic act. Um, hopefully that's where we're headed. I think that demands that you do more card tricks. I, yeah, that's maybe. leave the coins at home. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. that's the. I think that's the lesson, really. The yeah. takeaway today is it? Yes. Um, you, Brian, you mentioned fooling people, uh, so I'm going to take us down this uh, wretched rabbit hole of. Yeah, uh, does it concern you that somebody could watch you perform, and within about six and a half seconds, be on their smartphone? looking for the explanation of how that was accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, does that keep you awake at night? Yeah, no, it doesn't, actually. I mean, I, again... You sleep soundly. I sleep soundly, yes. Maybe not last night, but I was nervous about David Pack in this interview. Uh, but no. I was too. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't, actually, because, you know, we spoke before about maturity. I, I like to entertain, I, uh, whether it's making somebody laugh or whether it's showing them a trick that will fool them for a few moments. I like to entertain. So if if someone wants to go and search it out and look it up, it doesn't really uh, bother me at all. I'm I'm grateful for the fact that for those few moments I could be in front of some people and do some magic and really try to be as entertaining as I can be. So that that's where my focus is now. Certainly, uh, Magic Tonight, what we did, that was my goal. Really, was uh, it would be great if I could fool them and and maybe fool people for a long time because I think fooling is part of magic inherently without that. I think it's just another performance art of some sort, but um, it certainly isn't a focus for sure. Um, I mean, I I used to, I used to be more concerned about this than I am. I remember uh, earlier on adding things to my repertoire. And as part of that process, I would actually go on YouTube and search and see what the young people sitting in their pajamas on their beds in front of a webcam were teaching as explanations for these effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually made it a point to make sure whatever they were explaining, I wasn't doing that. That's interesting. Uh, like I would actually, uh, I've since... That's quite a goes, commitment, James. Well, I was also in my pajamas on my bed True. on YouTube, so it wasn't that uh, much of a relevant at the time. Uh, no, but I, I don't, uh, but I noticed very early on, at least for me personally, that it wasn't, they weren't even in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Uh, that what was out there... Um, uh, wasn't even close to what I was doing. And I think that's just a... Andre, Andre Cole and others were putting together a lawsuit when The Masked Magician came out back in whenever that mm-hmm. was. I don't even remember. Who cares, right? doesn't matter, really. I think, and I really truly believe that this secret was irrelevant. I would go to groups, we'd be working at the time in a, in a close-up environment or wherever, and someone would bring up The Masked Magician. And uh, I came up, I, I came up with a line as I was introducing myself, and I said, "Oh, I, I left the mask at home today." And sometimes that would get a little bit of a laugh because people were pretty aware of it; it was everywhere, right? Yeah. But my question was always back to them: Why are you assuming that's the way it's done? Why is there only one method? Mm-hmm. And that's why I love magic, James. To answer your earlier question, we want to know. We assume this is it. Mm-hmm. Two plus two equals four. It does. But magic reminds us that maybe life's not always quite that mathematical or analytical, or sometimes it's a little harder to get your mm-hmm. your, fin- your head around, you know? And, and so uh, there are solutions. There are answers. There is knowledge. There is truth. I'm not, not denying that for a second. But boy, that moment of wonder that takes us back to that place where we didn't necessarily know is a pretty cool place to be, it seems mm-hmm. to me. It's a moment of discovery is what it is, it seems. Mm-hmm. Anyway. There we go. Back to the idealistic edge. There we go. Um, and I'm curious from both of you, actually, uh, I've always found uh, from the magicians that I look up to is what makes for a really good magician is all of the things that they bring to the table that don't come from magic. So you think about 
Eugene Berger's background uh, as uh, teaching comparative religions and all and working in a welfare office and being deeply influenced by philosophy and world religion. Uh, you think about uh, whether they're musicians or artists, uh, that irritating way that Max Maven just seems to know everything about everything. Um, and so maybe you could speak briefly to the point, I know David, you do uh, a lot of work related to uh, social justice in the developing world and uh, Brian you're uh, deeply involved in uh, uh, design and uh, I don't know is it fair to call it uh, is it commercial art or marketing I'm not too sure but maybe just to be able to speak about the things from your other lives that filter into your magic somehow mm -hmm. do you want me to take it can you introduce me Brian Brian Roberts that's great. Very dramatic. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm actually glad this came up because I don't think I've ever spoken about this uh, in a magic setting before. But yeah, I am. Uh, I'm the president of a design firm uh, called Raining Communications, and, and one of the things certainly that has crossed over into magic, and, and I guess David and I can also talk about how how, how our businesses relate uh, together. We actually work together quite often. Um, but, you know, from that sense of communications, helping people and inspiring people to communicate their ideas uh, the best they can to the world. That's what my business does. So certainly from a standpoint of uh, performing, I try to communicate clearly uh, the effect and, and hopefully start a conversation with the audience as opposed to uh, just, uh, you know, just a performance where it's not a participatory sort of thing. And is there technique to that? Is there, like, if I wanted to become better at getting my point across? Yes. I mean, uh, how does that skill set get developed? Uh, there's a great book uh, called Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And I'll, and I'll tell you, this particular book, uh, as it has for Simon, uh, you know, changed sort of the way I fundamentally look at the world, uh, the way I look at business, and how I communicate to clients, and hopefully how they communicate to the world. It's uh, just very quickly. It's a very simple premise. Uh, start, Is this a long story? Ben? It's a short story. Oh, okay. It's a short story. Uh, but most uh, most businesses and successful individuals in the world all communicate the same way. They all uh, communicate about why they do what they do. What's their reason for being? What's their higher sense of purpose? That is starting with why. Most businesses in the world will actually communicate what they do 100%, and some of them will communicate how they do it, but uh, very few will communicate why. The successful ones know to communicate why they do it. Um, that's uh, really taken hold of my magic lately when I'm developing a, you know, a, a trick or an illusion. Um, I'll definitely try to start with why and communicate uh, the magic as strongly as possible. Is that explicit in the trick? Like there's actually a line in there where you say, and the reason I am doing this is, or is it, it can be subtext? It could be subtext. It could be, if it was a line, if it was that overt, it could simply be, be I believe. I believe something. And I think that's a great thing to say. It's very inspirational. And if you say, I believe, and start at the illusion that way, then I, then I, I think you will get people coming along with you, which is very important. Um, that I believe statement has been used by many companies, organizations, individuals in the world uh, to communicate what they do. And, and really, you, you tend to not sort of relate to or buy what people do. You tend to relate to and buy why people do it. Well, you all good, all of the above. Uh, I tick all those boxes. Uh, and the starting with why is so uh, fundamentally important. And I've, I've seen this in the nonprofit work I've done over the years with agencies that are so hung up on all the things they do. So we're going to solve a water issue in some part of the world, and we're going to drill wells, and we're going to build latrines and so on. Well, hang on. Did you ask the right questions? Did you go into the community? Did you actually get to know people? Did you build a sense of trust, build a sense of relationship, embrace and include and then say, what do you guys need? What can we help? How can we come alongside? Instead, what do we do? We come in with all the answers in our big books and our fancy vehicles, and we impose. And so I think if there is a lesson that I've learned from the different, you know, I'm a construction worker, James. I'm an electrician. I still pay my non-working dues to the union, the IBEW. Can you tell I'm still proud of it? Local 353. I think, I think from all these different things, I, I hope I've learned um, how to engage how to, for the most part, embrace. I'm sorry that I intimidated you way back when in 99. Okay. That's, yeah, that's not, but honestly, and how do we stop that? How do we break those walls down? I, I, you know, mm -hmm. and I hope today I'm not 
as Walt in. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to think the different disciplines allow us and the different worlds that we live in allow us to include others a little bit more with a pack of cards in our hand or, or four coins in a glass as we move into a room and say, hey, isn't it wonderful? Mm -hmm. And, and come on in and enjoy this with me. And, and there's a little bit of magic and there's no condescension here and there's no arrogance. This is just, a, I want to develop a relationship with you. And I remember, how's this for crossover, James? A construction guy that I worked with, Ray Lawler, I believe, I remember, I got his name, I can't believe this. Back in the 80s, he comes to see me at Harper's Dinner Theater, the mystical, mythical, mythical coin act. Uh, and afterwards we sit down, everybody's gone and Ray's and his wife are there. And he says to me, construction worker to construction worker. I've just come off the stage. I'm working with this guy with a tool belt on during the day. And there I am just walking off stage with, you know, makeup and, and tails. And he said, David, I love, you know, love your, you know, all the pleasantries and the, you know what you need to do? You got to take some dance. You need to take some dance lessons and you need to start reading more biographies. Oh, could you be more specific in your comments and your criticism? And you know what? I started taking jazz. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I was the only guy in the class. And I started reading more biographies. And I think what Ray was saying is you got to branch out a little bit. You know, don't, don't watch the blinders, right? And, and learn from others and learn from story. And uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's a great question. And I think it's a really important one. If, as David Ben says, we want magic to stand on its own, I think we need to find out, uh, we need to figure out ways to include people more. <laughs> Does that make sense? Instead of building barriers, right? Um, anyway, so yeah, you picked that. That's a whoa. I, we should do another interview on yeah, that. That's got me going, man. That's uh, well, we are sort of coming to the we end are, of our sadly. time. It's true. So, uh, it has been a pleasure. So, uh, David, if uh, people who listen to the podcast know a lot about you and the uh, philanthropic side if someone wanted to learn more about you magically where would they go yeah that's probably tough i think there are some things online still you can find i, I do have a few publications and a dvd uh, but davidpecklive.com you can find out uh, all of uh, close to publishing my th 300th interview uh starting to focus more on filmmakers and actors and producers which is really exciting and fun and occasionally uh, the occasional magician pops up from time to time which is kind of neat too so davidpecklive.com and um that's probably the best place to find out more about me there. And ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you um, Brian Roberts. And, and how do we find out about the uh, the giant that is Brian Roberts? Uh, you can go to Brian six Roberts. Four, yes, 6'5". Right? Six, five. Six, six, get five. this right, David. Did you grow Come an on. inch since we started this I did. This, I'm, uh, so I'm so proud. 5 foot 17. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you can go to brianrobertsmagic.com. I'll do my best to keep that updated. Uh, as well, there is uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook. I have presence on both of those. So, yeah. Thanks, guys. You have presence on presence. more than both of those. Yes, actual presence with bows and ribbon. Things. Oh, right. Yes, there we go. Whoa, now we're getting punny. Yes. <laughs> and this spiral downwards That's comes right. quickly. Very quickly. That used, it was a thoughtful interview up until about 45 there. seconds ago. Yeah. Well, uh, David and Brian, thank you very much for your insight. Thanks, this has James. Been, thank you, James. This has been Face to Face to Face. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.